And hello, everyone. And thank you for tuning in to Keeping It Local, Season 2. Season 2, folks. I'm excited to have you here. This is Marlon Diaz, your host. And joining us today is Kevin Bulandier. Kevin, welcome to the Keeping It Local podcast. Thank you so much, Marlon. Thank you so much, man, for having me. A pleasure to be on Season 2. Well, you're kicking off this, this this first episode of Season 2, so we're very happy to have you here. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you're uh, born and raised Floridian. Um, tell us about what you're doing now, um, and then we will, of course, continue on with the conversation. Of course. So I'm a 21-year-old independent journalist. I am from Miami, Florida, born and raised here to Cuban families. And I've always loved Florida politics. I think this is where it all happens, where it all comes down. <laughs> so uh, when I found about this, I was like, wow, this is the path. I want to take politics, news. So I opened up my own news page on Instagram, News Alert KB, for all of you to follow it, uh, where I cover independent, objective news and, and give some analysis in terms of local stuff happening in Miami-Dade, statewide stuff, or even national stuff that happens. Okay, well, again, we're glad to have you here. And uh, let's begin our conversation with the recent primaries that just took place in August 23rd. Um, we have a couple of races to go through, um, but I think that by far the hottest, hottest one is the governor's race. Um, so, of course, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis um, made it through the primary without any opposition. Um, and of course, uh, the Democrats have chosen their nominee for uh, for governor, and that is Charlie Crist. And up until recently, we learned that um, he has chosen Carla Hernandez Matz as his lieutenant governor pick, which we will talk a little bit about. Um, I'm sure that Kevin, uh, you know quite a few about about. Carla, as I do, um, sure. being from Miami and, and, and learning, of course, um, of the several controversies that she brought on um, during her time. I'm sure she's still around for UTD, but I'm not sure if um, I'm, I'm not sure what how that works. If she's supposed to resign um, from her position and then somebody has to take over because she's seeking political office. But that's a good question. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely circle back on that second episode. Um, and I will bring more clarity to that. But Kevin, what are your thoughts on on, on on obviously Charlie Crist becoming the nominee? I think that it was known. It was not a surprise that he was going to win. He has name recognition, and he definitely defeated his more liberal opponent, Nikki Freed. Uh, what I was noticing throughout the whole primary, which I followed closely, is that she never really gained ground, despite her online presence. Farid always had this online presence where she would attack Ron DeSantis or she would say that, I don't know, she would bash him and she would say, oh, she's the only statewide elected Democrat. But it never really got to the ground game. She always, she was always trailing in the fundraising, trailing in the endorsements. So it wasn't a surprise that he won. Now, when it comes to the general between him and DeSantis, Look, I think he's definitely a good a good challenger to face the Santis. But then again, given the direction of the state where it's going, it looks like Florida is turning more red. 
And so far, so far, things could change, but so far, there has been no movement that I've seen. I think if you, maybe if you see something, there's no movement by the National Democrat Party that I've seen to invest in Florida to help Charlie Chris win. The only thing I've seen is Charlie Chris asking people to donate and asking Joe Biden to come to the state. But so far, I haven't seen any National Democrat moves to, to help him win. But this is Democrats' only chance, really, to stop the Santis because they say that he's going to run for president or something. But yeah. Well, that's been their whole campaign, that DeSantis is going to run for 2024 and that he really doesn't care about the presidents, that he doesn't really care about the governor's mansion. But when, in fact, we've had somebody like Charlie Crist run for several positions while holding office. So, and that's a... And that, governor, he went to the senator, he lost that, he went, he went again for governor, he lost that, so... I asked um, one of my co- one of my guests um, in one of the previous episodes in season one, uh, Aaron Parnas, which I'm sure you know. Um, I asked him, uh, of course, and this was before the primary was held, um, if electing Charlie Crist would be a mistake. Um, I think, in my personal opinion, I think electing Charlie Crist was a mistake um, because to think that Democrats would elect. A Republican turned Democrat and a Republican turned independent and then independent turned Democrat. I mean, it's it's a it's a flip-flop. It's a back and forth, you know, one day I want to be Republican, one day I want to be an independent. So I they had Nikki Freed. They had a chance to elect a Democrat. The only thing that also the only the also the other thing also that I that, that gets my attention is if if Charlie was about uniting the party, why didn't he choose Nikki Freed as his lieutenant governor? And maybe, and maybe, and maybe you maybe you have maybe you have a thought, some thoughts on that. Yes, so for sure, I think I disagree with you on that. I think he is a good, um, I think he's a good person to lead that party. Let's take away the fact that he was a Republican. He's he's been a Democrat for like ten years, right? Uh, or like, sorry, eight years in 2014, yeah. he's been a Democrat. Because uh, in 2020, he was an independent. Um, eight years a Democrat. Um, he, I think, like Aaron said, which I think I would agree with his analysis, he was like the Biden of the pack. Yeah. He's a guy who you could trust on name recognition. Sure. You know he's not, he's like a centered left guy for now. We don't know <laughs> what he's going to come up with. Sure. Um, and Nikki... I think the Democrat Party knew Nikki probably could not win the general. She was she was just too left. Now, I do agree with you on the vice president, on the lieutenant governor pick, on the why didn't he pick her. Maybe he knew that if he would have picked her, she could she she could have been too left too left for I don't know. I think I think it could have been a, a moment of unity for the Democratic Party to have had both Charlie and Nikki on the ticket, and I think people could have said, "Well, you know what?" Now who could argue? The devil advocate would be him. He could argue we're picking Carla. He could argue, "Oh, I'm making my campaign on education to try to unite teachers. I picked a, a former teacher. I picked our president of a teacher union. Nikki, what? Uh, a lobbyist? A sugar lobbyist? Mar- marijuana lobbyist? Well, marijuana, but so what? Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. By picking Carla, she's more of a like. Regular folk, regular person, rather than Mickey, who was a lobbyist. I think that would be the argument he would make. Which is funny because uh, Republicans have been championing the education issue. 
Exactly, right. The Republicans have been pushing more education. And, and then one more point I want to make on the target thing. Sure. I think that his argument, I think one of the arguments he can make for Republicans who don't like the Santis would be, look, I used to be a former Republican. I'm not as liberal. And if I, if you elect me, you don't have to fear me. You know, you, I, I will be a traditional general mill, like a Joe Manchin in the, in the governor's mansion. You know, I think that, I think, is that a winning argument? I don't know. Especially when he, when he said right there, right after, I don't know if you heard this, the day right after he was like, oh, I don't want any of the Santi voters to vote for me. Keep hate in your heart if you have it. Yeah. That's not a winning strategy in my opinion. Well, that, then again, I think that the scraps of Democratic advisors are doing quite a good job because we can see that both in Charlie and we can see that in the current president we have in the White House, in which is, you know, you take a look back and you say, well, Charlie is talking much like what, you know, Biden is talking like, I don't want your hatred. I don't want your, I I want love and I want unity, but Charlie is not appealing to all Floridians when he he comes and says that. I think the pitch would say, I want your vote. I want everyone's vote because I am going to be Florida's governor for all of Floridians. But he failed and he failed in doing that. It wasn't the message. You're right. It wasn't the message. Immediately, he was like, no, if you if you are the Sandy supporter, I don't want your vote because you probably have hate in your heart. What is that? You know? And then another thing, he wants Biden to come to the state. But Biden right now is attacking all mega Republicans as semi-fascists, as they said last week. Is Chris going to unite to that rhetoric as well? Is he going to stand on the debate stage and call the Sandy a fascist? I don't know, man. How is that going to relate to the to the average voter? Well, that's definitely going to be that's definitely going to be seen um, come the debates for governor. I think it's going to be really interesting, and whether he will have a fan under him or not. I don't know. <laughs> he, had a fan. he had a fan during his debate with Nikki Free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's known. He's known to have. Uh, he's known to have fans at his interviews and at his debates, um, and people yeah. just don't understand why. But some people make really, yeah, some people make some cold jokes, which I'm not going to say in this podcast, but, right. you know, uh, it, 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 the whole intention, according to his campaign, is for him to keep cool. Um, but another, you know, moving a little bit more on, on, on his lieutenant governor pick, what are your thoughts on her? And, and because what I, what I see in her is someone who's got plenty of opposition research like, you know, in campaigns, you do a lot of opposition research, right? I don't think that camp, that the Santa's campaign has to do much camp, opposition research on her because she, in and of herself, alone on Twitter, put out a statement that, you know, while Miami is having a party after Fidel Castro's death, people in Cuba are mourning. I'm sorry, but I'm Cuban-American, so are you. The only people that were probably mourning Fidel Castro's death were the same comunitas that were part of his administration and his exactly. party. Exactly. Or, or the very few that are left in Cuba that still Because the average, Cuban in, the average Cuban in the island who's having to go through food scatters and going through trash cans. Three hours, five hours of no, le- no electricity. And more, and more, and more. Water shortages, too. They're now announcing bread rations even more 
They're announcing wheat rations. I have a I have an aunt in Cuba who, after starting September first, which is today, that she can no longer make pizzas because they're not going to allow her to. I mean, it, it's crazy. And 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 that, and that again, that's when you say, well, who who really mourns his death? And and it's definitely one of those people. Yeah, you could definitely say that that person mourned for Fidel Castro. No, the, it, it is just it is crazy to me that someone could come, especially not being born in in Cuba, to make such a comment. But again, she did that to herself. People are seeing it. People have already seen it because it's being blasted over all over social media. And it's just a matter of time for people to realize who she is. And there's also another video where she's um, in, in an altercation with somebody on a video and she like punched the guy or pushed them away. Yeah. Yeah. So, she, she pushed him. She pushed him. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, well, you're doing this to yourself. So, yeah. I mean, I, I remember back um, in early, early summer. I saw this list that um, that he that Chris put out or a source put out that um, that showed all the people he was considering, and I was there like, okay, this one is a state senator, this one is is a a, a top Democrat in the state or an up and coming this and that, and then he ended up picking her. Like, was she on the list? On her, like, I personally think it was a controversial move when it comes to his pick, especially because. Immediately the moment he picked her, or the day before when it was announced, all these um, accounts started appearing. The DeSantis war room on Twitter started attacking her. Uh-huh. She called for school shutdowns. She called for more mask mandates. Mm-hmm. She said that Castro tweet, very important in South Florida. I mean, like, you should vet your own people, man, you know? But, but let me but let me you ask know, you. He needed a woman, and he needed someone to speak Spanish. I get it. But there were so many people that he could have chosen. Sure. And and let me ask you, on that list that you saw, because I never saw that list, was she on that list? She was. She was on that list. Okay. Okay. Because I've been, I've been told I mean, that... I, I passed her name because I'm like, I mean, he's not going to pick her, right? He's not like one of the people that he just said, oh, yeah, maybe, but, you know, but he did. He ended up picking her. Right. Well, I, I because I've been told that that she was, um, she was a last resource choice. Like she was a last minute choice, and and it's and it's to your point. Like you went through the list and you're like, oh, this person's probably not going to get picked. So I think that that's what they, that's what it ended up happening. Yeah. So I, I heard even the there was some rumors that uh that a former Telemundo anchor could also be his lieutenant governor, and I'm like, well, I mean, we don't know nothing about her, but at least she could be some nonpartisan stuff, you know? Is um, that uh? I think I think I know who you're talking about. I don't know her. I, I, right now, the name doesn't ring a bell. Right. The name is not here, but, but her. A former, she left, but she did an interview, said that she was... She was Maria Celeste. Maria Celeste. Yes. Maria Celeste, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh. But but I'm not, I I could never see Maria Celeste being involved in any political thing. <laughs> I know, I know, but it was just a rumor that was going on, you know? But okay, if you would have picked her, or, you know, she could have probably given some, like, nonpartisan stuff or something. She's known in South Florida, whatever. But like I don't know, picking a teacher union boss who has a lot of like on uh, very controversial tweets. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting to see if she helps, if she hurts him, or if it's like a neutral pick. Because look, a lot of people were saying that like Vice President Kamala Harris was like going to be a bad pick for Biden or whatever, and it ended up not even help- hurting him or helping him. You know, so I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. So. 
Moving on to another race that is down in South Florida, which is getting very hot, is the Congressional 27 race. And that is now, of course, between incoming Congresswoman Maria Vida Salazar uh, versus Aneta Deo, who's the Florida senator. Um, I, it's good, In my opinion, I think it's going to be a contested race. Um, I think it's gonna, um, it, it, it's gonna, it's Maria Vida's gonna have to go out there and really work um, for for the votes, um, and she's going to have to campaign a lot because Aneta Leo does have a following. Do I think that Aneta Leo has enough of a following to win Maria Vida? I don't think so, but it's going to be one of those races where I think that the can that the incumbent will have to put a little bit more extra extra work into the race. I think so, too. I think so, too. I have sources inside the campaign that say that they, they don't think she's going to win in Tadeo's campaign. They say Salazar's going to win, um, but that they're still going to try to aim for that win. Right, know? right. Um, but I think all the Cook Political Report and all these other posters have this race in lean R, so lean Republican. Yes. Because I think that with redistricting... Yes. And with um, the the Republicans winning in the in the voter registration stuff and stuff like that, uh-huh. I think that Salazar does have an edge. But yes, I think again, it's a district. It's in my district. I'm in this district. Okay, it's a district that you're gonna have to go and knock doors and do that yeah. canvassing because you know. And I've already had some people reach out to me um, from that from her campaign that they're doing this and doing that and you know setting up events and setting up um, canvassing. So. I think she is putting the work in, but for sure, I think Tadeo has a base here, has a ground here, and it's going to be fun. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be a, a runoff for um, Dalazar or Tadeo. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think they'll win by like five, six points. I don't think so. Yeah. I think the win will be one, two points, maybe tight. It's going to be tight. Yeah. And I think Madibita has, has become, with the times, more popular among Republican circles. I know that at the beginning, I think so too, but but Martin, tell me what you think about this, man. I mean, there's a lot of people on her, like, again, it's just social media. Sure. There's a lot of people on her page that call her Rhino, that say they wouldn't vote for her, they'll vote for her opponent in the primary, which he lost. Um, she won by 80% of the vote. She voted for, I know, <laughs> um, she voted for a lot of these other proposals, such as the gay marriage yeah. thing in Congress. She voted for the gun bill that they passed. Yeah. Do you think that affects her in the general, or do you think that helps her? I think it'll help her. Um, the issue with District 27 is that throughout the years, it became, it went from very Republican to very moderate. So that's what happened with the Ileana Ross Landon, and that in her time in office, her, her district was always a very Republican stronghold. And with the times as as the district changed, she also changed. Not, I don't think that she changed because of political reasons, because we know that her change on transgender and, and, the, and the LGBTQ issues are a personal thing for her. So I don't think that she changed issues because it was going to appeal to voters in the district. It was because she was a mother and, that, and, and she supported her daughter, um, now son, of course, um, in his in his transition, so that was seen by Republican voters across the district as a liberal move, quote unquote, um, and people just 
I think that with the time, she um, became more moderate and less less stronger on the issues. And she was more open to, she was still very bipartisan, but it didn't mean that she would overstep, um, you know, with with her beliefs as far as being Republican. But I think that Maria Bita in the long run, um, she will vote with the issues that the district cares about. And clearly these issues are, are very dear to the district. I don't think that she voted on those issues based on, you know, her own beliefs. I'm sure she has other beliefs. Um, and maybe perhaps um, she is aiming to do the job as representative. And I, and I appreciate that from her. Because at the end of the day, what you when it comes down to, yeah. Uh, they, it's interesting that you see those votes as her, as her voting for her constituents rather than for her interest or her beliefs, you know? Because we can see the a perfect example of Debbie Mercosur Powell, who was a one-term congresswoman, was elected by a good Republican district. And it's worth mentioning because they just rebuked Carlos Curbelo. They didn't like Carlos Curbelo. They didn't like the way that he um, that he took some stances and how he had a, a, a pitiful fight with Trump. And I think that they said, well, you know, maybe perhaps somebody should have the pass. And instead of voting for Corbello, they left the blank. They, they left the ballot blank. And who won? The Democrat did. Right. So I think, and and what she did was that she focused on this very large balloon, which is called the natural, the national stage. And she focused on attacking Trump and doing this and doing that. But then the, the, her district was left behind. The district, she couldn't care less about the district anything that was born in the district. And that is the reason why we have Carlos Jimenez there today. Because right. when he went out there and said, listen, we need to talk about the issues and what people care about. What's going on in the Keys? What's going on in Kendall? What's going on in Homestead? We need to address these issues. And, I, and, and, and he said it. I don't want to fundamentally change this country to a place where we've never seen before. I want to, I want to make sure that our institutions remain the same because that's what makes this country the country that it is today. And of course, she didn't share that because she's focused rather on this big picture, which was to appeal to voters that were not even in her district. And that's why they, re- that's why they rebuked her. And she didn't last, she, didn't, she, she wasn't reelected for a second term. So I think that is based on the, I think that is putting the people's, you know, the people's, issues first before her personal issues. So I, I appreciate that from her. And I disagree with some of the, perhaps on, on, on the gun issue, um, I could disagree with that. I, I, I'm, I'm personally for red flag laws, but there's certain things within the bill that she voted for that I disagree with. But she voted based on the people's feelings of her district. And I think she She's representing them well, based on that. Her voting for these things, she's showing her district, which again is a purple district, uh, or maybe a lean red, but not a super red like it used to be. Um, I think she's showing those people, hey, you know, I'm not an extreme, right? I'm I'm not gonna vote against these things, but because my majority of my party does too. You know, I have my own mind. So I think that I think those votes, let's see what happens. I, I also think Something else, I think that there's a strategy to Dale's doing in terms of saying that, like, oh, Zalazar, you're talking about, you're talking about 
democracy in Cuba and in, Amer in Nicaragua and in, these, in Guatemala, but your party is being anti-democratic here in the U.S., you know? Yeah. And that goes back to the national democrat message of the GOP is anti-democratic. And I just, I haven't seen yet Zalazar push back hard enough on that stance by today. I think, I think she will at one point. Um, but one of the things that catches my attention always from Taleo, Taleo is an interesting individual. She, this is not the first time she runs for this district. She ran against Ileana Roslin and once for Congress for District 27. And at the time, she was pro-ending the embargo in Cuba. Mm. While, of course, Ileana Roslin was a staunch supporter of keeping the embargo because the embargo was essential. And then um, as time progressed and as because you see the writing on the wall, she said, well, maybe perhaps I need to tone it down a little bit on the stance. And now she's totally against the, uh, she's totally against lifting the embargo. Wow. So it's, it's, so it's one of those changes where you're like, wow, you know, this is so impressive. Like how people out of nowhere just get, you know, how they change. But you know what? It's okay to change. I, I encourage it. And perhaps she saw the, like I said, she saw the writing on the wall and she said, well, perhaps this is not what people in, in the city and the state feel. And, and I'm the one that's against the boat. So perhaps I need to go with what the people support, which is to keep the embargo and to hold the Castro regime accountable. But that, of course, we can, that, that is a conversation to be had on a more lengthy uh, podcast because I know that you yourself had somebody on, on your own show talking about the Cuba issue. Yeah. And, and, and I remember, I remember, and, and, and it was a very, very interesting take because she was against the embargo and you had your talk, you had your points in which you were asking her, but what about this? What about that? And I disagree with her, but you know what? In the end of the day, we live in a free country and we get to choose um, uh, how, how we believe and how we, um, you know, how we opine in certain issues. And again, I, I, I also think that you guys share, you guys do share something in common, which is you both want to see freedom in Cuba. And absolutely. No communism in Cuba. Yeah. But I do remember that. So anyway, going on. Um, and so to wrap up on the issue of, of Tadeo, um, you know, I think she, um, the only thing, the other thing she's been focusing on as of lately, which is to accuse Maria Bida of putting out their two 20 um, bills. She's put 20 bills as a representative and that none of them have gone through. But the, th the truth is, at the end of the day, is that those 20 bills haven't gone through because there is a Democrat majority. And leadership, a.k.a. Nancy Pelosi, and the majority whip and the majority leader are the ones that get to pick which bills go through the floor or not. So, so I, I, I genuinely... They can have the 20 bills sit on the pile for the rest of the term. And I generally, I'm, I'm just so in shock about how she can come and accuse her of that when she's the first one who's experienced bipartisanship and she's had her bills heard in the Florida Senate and we've had a Republican majority. So I guess she, she, I guess she doesn't know that or maybe she doesn't want to recognize it, but Republicans have given her a chance and every time she's tried to put a bill together forward, the bills have gone through. Whether they get voted or not in committee or they go through, that's another story. But again, 
this Senate, the Florida Senate, has had such a great level of bipartisanship. You don't see yeah. Washington. Washington is not like that. We you don't know, see that in Washington. Just shows the Florida Senate is more bipartisanship than Washington. You know, because for example, I mean, you, I don't know how you stand on on Valadar's immigration bill that she proposed. But doesn't matter how you are, at least a conversation about it. At least if you take it up for debate. Absolutely. Even if you kill it at the end. But Absolutely. At the end. But at least to have her talk about it, have Republicans talk about it, add amendments, remove amendments, that conversation on immigration, which is a huge topic, something we should have. Absolutely. Know? And that's the problem That's the problem we're having, and is that Democrats don't want a Republican to be bringing up a bill that targets immigration. Because they want to be the champions of immigration, but they're they're about to close on their 117th Congress, and yet they don't have one single piece of legislation that addresses the immigration issue, whether it's stopping the situation at the border, which affects all of us, or to actually have a path of citizenship, whether it's for the dreamers or for whether whether it's for the ones who have stayed here longer, or whether those who came on a working visa. Anyway, the point is. We need to have immigration reform, and we've been saying it. I'm probably going to run my tongue until it's over that we do need immigration reform, but they don't. They just don't want Republicans to be the bearers of that legislation. And my debate, I think, had a very good chance to have a good argument and a good debate on that issue. But especially when she's from a district that sees a lot of immigration. Sure, sure, absolutely. But then again. You know, when, when, when people say, oh, because we don't like we don't we don't like when Republicans like to block our legislation. Well, you people are the ones blocking it. So it's just it's just one of those things where you're all the time. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where, where, where do you really lose? Do you really lose the debate having, you know, discussing immigration with somebody or do do we all try? And that's the thing. Right. We're not trying. We're not doing enough. So, yeah. On to another topic which I know that, that we've got some others to cover. Um, let's talk about the county commission race down in District 6. Um, that is, uh, I believe... Uh, That's Kevin versus George. Kevin Marino Cabrera versus George Forrest. That's an interesting race. It's gotten a lot of it's getting a lot of coverage at, at least in, in locally in Miami. Um, you're talking about a Trump back candidate versus a Republican core Gables commissioner. Um, and do you do you since you're in Miami in the ground, have you heard anything on that race? Anything in specific that that you might want to share with with our listeners? I haven't. I have not heard anything there, probably because the primary just occurred and things are just starting to move up. I've seen some George signs. I haven't seen any Kevin signs yet. Uh, okay. But when I go around the, the area, I see a lot of George and not a lot of Kevin's, but that's probably Kevin's campaign is probably booting up now. Okay. So. okay. Well, that's, that, that will definitely be uh, an interesting race to watch um for sure, for yeah sure. yeah especially when when you have a former president and getting involved in a major county commission race i mean we don't we, we don't see that often where a former president of the united states gets involved in a county commission race um so i think the next topic that we can talk about is the senate race which is on a dead heat 
according to some books, uh, according to some pro- political reports, and I'm sure you you have some insight on that, that say that Valdemis is winning, um, that Marco Rubio is losing by like 10 points. Um, I, I, I take a point of privilege when it comes to um, the senator because I did work for Senator Rubio um, and I, 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 I'm a big supporter of his. I, I wish him the best and I hope that he wins and, and I'm 100% team Rubio. Um, and I don't like the negative stuff going out there. And I think also some of these reports are fake, in my opinion. Um, and some of the people that I've sp- spoken to can agree um, that they've been nothing but just a lot of noise to scare off the Rubio campaign. Um, not sure what your thoughts are on that. I live in Orange County, which is uh, Deming's land. Our, the mayor here is uh, Val Deming's husband. Um, she was chief of police here. Um, people know who she is. People know um, what she's done, um, what she hasn't done. So definitely, I think that the senator has a lot of work to do here to convince a good amount right. of voters to, to to go to go his way. But not sure. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think I think whether the polls have Val Deming up ten, or Rubio up four, or a dead heat, it's definitely going to be a very very tight race. It reminded me of the Bill Nelson and Rick Scott race that everybody was watching. Um, it was very tight. It was very tight. Um, and I think it was going to be tight as well. But I'm definitely seeing movement from the Rubio campaign. He's posting ads. He's posting commercials. He's doing billboards, you know. And the Demings campaign is also out there uh, attacking Rubio's record in attendance, saying that he he, he did 9%. He hasn't been there 9% of the time or missed 9% of the votes, um, saying that he hasn't done anything. Bro, I don't well, that, was, that was back in 2016, though. Well, right, but he, she's saying it now that he's... Right, he missed right, right, right. So I think she's taking, she's taking attacks from Republicans themselves in 2016 and getting it and using it against him now. Yeah, well, that's definitely okay. called recycling. I don't want the Demings campaign to say, to say, look, she's really trying here. She thinks that she can get more of that independent vote, especially in the middle of Florida where people know her, like you say. She can beat him. Where people in Rubio's campaign says, no, we have a solid ground here and we can we can win. So I think it's up for grabs. But again, um, all these um, political polls like all these trackers of races, they have this race as either toss-up or lean R or likely R sometimes. Yep. So, so, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's going to... I think that my... Take, take every poll with a grain of salt. And if you can, like, Republicans were underestimated in 2020 and 2018. Yep. So, in 2016 as well. So, probably add five points to every poll for Republicans because, yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how you balance it out. Yeah, I think um, I think that DeSantis being on the ticket this year will help tremendously um, because he's he's so popular. But also because the senator is the senator is popular also um, among the you know in the state. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say as popular as DeSantis. DeSantis has become a natural figure um, and very popular, not just in Florida but across the whole country. So. Um, do, you think, do you think that Trump will go out and, and campaign with Rubio or with DeSantis, which could be a, an opponent of his in 2024? Um, if we haven't seen it now, 
I don't think we're going to see it in the future, if I'm being honest with you. If if Trump decides to come and campaign... I think Trump is doing it because he knows there's... There's some, there's some enemy line. There's some. I think, I think he feels there's some rivalry there, and I think that that's probably the reason why he doesn't want to put his money um, on DeSantis just yet, um, because he might think, well, if I help him now, um, and he wants to run against me in 2024, then probably what Trump is avoiding is to have a war with DeSantis. I think that I think that Republicans can agree that that kind of a fight will not be a pretty one. And I think no one's up for it. It won't be a pretty one. But but if he does help DeSantis, if Trump does help DeSantis, then in a, in a hypothetical 2024 primary, Trump could point at DeSantis and say, you are nobody if it wasn't for me. In 2018, DeSantis could not win if it wasn't for Trump's endorsement. You know, Trump always says that. The rocket ship. That yep. the fantasy became. Yeah. So he could point at because, him. You are nobody. You yep. are someone because of me. So bow down to me. He could say that to the sentence. Yeah, because well, Adam Putnam was very popular, and Adam exactly. Putnam was going to be the choice for governor, but it wasn't until the Santos had the the big endorsement, the big right. endorsement, right. Um, that that everyone said, okay, clear the roads because the guy has arrived, and and in the moment that the Santos got the endorsement, um. That's when that's when everyone said, "Okay, all right, we have a nominee. Just let's move on and let's go through the primary process. Let DeSantis win and go from there." But I think I, I do agree with what you're saying. But I think that DeSantis, on his own, has been able to really build on his on his own personality. Some people do say that DeSantis um, can sometimes mimic Trump in certain ways or certain expressions, and I. And again, there's not, nothing for the U.S. Senate race that we were talking about, but just to put a fine point on this, I mean, to get your thoughts on this, if it is a Trump v. blank in a Republican primary, let's put the Santis, let's put Rubio, let's put Ted Cruz, whoever it is, right. what would be their, their argument against Trump? The argument can't be, I'm just younger than you or better than you. No, I mean, what, what would be that Republican argument against Trump? I just haven't seen any yet. I don't. I haven't seen any yet either. So it's definitely gonna. It's definitely not gonna be. Oh, because we need to move on from you. Um, I don't think that's that's what's not gonna be. Yeah. Trump would easily say, "I still have seventy percent approval in the party. I was the guy who put the judges to overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm under me. You were like two two dollar gas or whatever. You know. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I don't yeah. see any Republican, actual Republican attack that could be against Trump. I think the Santis try to use the lockdown or something. But in 2024, people are going to forget about 2020 COVID. That's just my opinion. Right, 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 right. No, I agree. I think that what people want to see is a Trump DeSantis ticket. Um, ultimately, um, yes. do do I see DeSantis probably accepting that? I'm not sure. I think. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's gonna be. It's it's gonna be. Listen, the fact that we're we're in 2022. And we're already talking about 2024. We haven't even gotten there yet, and we're, st- we're we're talking about this now. But it is it is worth talking about because the same question goes for whether uh, Biden will run for 2024. And exactly. then you have prominent Democrats, not just any average Democrat that's being pulled in CNN to say a thing or two. Prominent Democrats, both in Florida and some in other places around the country, that have come and suggested that perhaps Biden's time should be 
you know. But there have been a few. There have been a few. There have been a few that come out and say, hey, it's time for you to move on, time for the new Democrat. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, we're going to move into we're going to move into the next segment, which is I personally love because I, I just I like to highlight small businesses. And I want to ask you to pick one small business in Miami that you can think of or anywhere in Florida that you maybe have visited that you would like to recommend our listeners for them to go out and support. Interesting. Well, I would definitely recommend if you haven't, I think you have had it, but in South Florida, uh, Night Owl Cookies, it's really good. Um, and uh, there was a guy who said that you know, there are crumble cookies is better, but I think Night Owl is good. So if you haven't gone, it's near, next to FIU. It's really good and you guys should try it. Okay. Well, all right. Fair enough. I have heard my opinion. I have heard negative opinions about Night Owl Cookies, but I'll give you that. Um, I people, well, you know, people, well, people do make the, people make the argument that these cookie places really don't bake the cookies. Like they have, the, they do, they bake the cookies, but they microwave them before they hand it out. Interesting, right? So that's one of the things where I'm like, okay, well, you know that. I, I guess you could, I guess you could make the argument that you know it's it's a quote unquote microwave cookie, but. Anywho, my recommendation. I'll give you another one. You okay, another one. go for it. There's this restaurant that I tried last week, which is really good in Little Havana. It's called the the Pub Restaurant. It's right next to Ball and Chain, next to tourist. It's called the Pub Restaurant. It's really good, very Cuban, very homemade kind of place. It's Little Havana. Definitely try it out. Okay, well, and I and I think that's uh, if if I'm not wrong. That is uh, that is Commissioner Joe Carroyo's favorite restaurant in Little Havana. Yeah, the City of Miami Commissioner. So definitely, you made a good choice. I'm sure you. I'm sure he will. He will like you for that because I don't know. I don't know if you know that there's a whole dispute between him and Ball and Chain and Bill Fuller, who's the owner of Ball and Chain, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. The pub, El, El Pub, is, is his favorite restaurant. But on my end of of um, of, of small businesses, I will recommend to our listeners. Suzuru, which is a Japanese restaurant, which is incredible. It's located right here in Orlando, just 10 minutes from where I live. Um, it is, um, it's it's a modern Japanese cuisine. They have Japanese tapas. They have a lot of really good stuff, which I haven't gone yet, but I'm going. So I'm recommending my people, everyone who's listening, to go and visit it when you're in town or if you live here. And you have already, sure. But if you haven't yet, go pay them a visit. Um, we always, at least in this podcast going forward and every time in every episode, we always aim to support our small businesses um, because they are the backbones of our communities. And without them, we are nothing. And with that, um, I would like to bring this podcast to a close. I want to thank you, Kevin, for all your expertise your independent viewing, because I appreciate that, and that throughout the podcast, we're able to have a riveting conversation while also maybe disagreeing on some points. And that's what it's all about. This isn't about having an agreement on anything or everything, but it's always, it, this is a good discussion. So I, I personally enjoyed it. I hope to have you back soon, and we will have more exciting speakers on season two. So everyone who's listening, stay tuned for more. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you. Thank you. And I 
encourage everybody listening that to hit up my news page, News Alerts KB on Instagram. Please follow him on Instagram. He's got like what two thousand followers. Almost, almost a dollar Hey, you're, you're listen. You're working. I, I mean, I I want to tell our, our listeners. I'm very proud of Kevin because he is younger than I am, and he is he's. You better watch him because he's going to be on your local news screen one of these days. And I'm going to wake up having Cuban cafecito, and I'm going to see Kevin on the screen giving out the morning news. We need young people. We need we need more of you, Kevin, because unfortunately. Um, we've taken this this path in which we have political activism instead of good journalism. And I think you bring that. But I hope that you and your generation and the younger one generations and the ones that are coming after really are able to bring that. I'm hopeful. I I don't I don't think it's gonna be the case because we see it now more in which it's 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 this hyper partisan bickering um that we have in the news media. And we don't see real journalism at play. Um, but I think, there's again... There's definitely activism journalism going on in some places. But that's why digital subscriptions are down. People aren't tuning in as much. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reflecting in the news business from what I hear. Well, if I, and if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. You are... Your page is my number... A lot of times, I would say 95% of the time, my actual source, when I'm looking at stuff and, and for me to find out about what's going on in the world, I go to your page always comes up in my story. So it's not like I have a choice, like to go physically into your page, but I algorithm. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of those things where, you know, you and I appreciate it because sometimes I just want to turn on the TV and I don't want to hear what CNN or MSNBC or Fox News is saying. Because everyone is just all over the place. And, and 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 you cannot sit down and say, okay, well, when can we have somebody normal giving a normal conversation? Or just having, you know, just having a normal uh, argument about the issues, you don't see that anymore. Um, but you definitely bring a different perspective to that. And I appreciate it very much. And I'm sure everyone who's listening also appreciates it. Please give him a follow, support him because we need to support the next generation of journalists, um, as well as people who want to get involved in politics who might want to bring a little bit, a, a little different perspective. Um, I've been asked personally if I'm ready for office, um, but I, my, question, my answer to everyone who, who, who does ask is we'll see what happens in the future. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't promise anything, but the only thing I can do is to continue to, to carry on this podcast and inform people about the issues that are happening across our entire state. Um, And that's what I'm going to aim to do. And that's what I will continue to do. So again, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Kevin, again, for being on here and we are off.